Thank you, worship team. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Um, we are in the series, uh, season of Lent. Lent is a, a, a 40-day uh, season of preparation as we look towards Good Friday and the resurrection. And next week, I'll be kicking off officially a new uh, series, preaching series uh, on Lent on the theme of repentance as a way of life. And so we'll pick that up. Uh, next week, uh, but it's, I'm thrilled to introduce our guest speaker today. In the world of um, pastors and preachers, there are certain names that uh, come up over and over in whatever circle you find yourselves in, and Brian Loritz's name is one of those names. Uh, as a preacher, I'm always looking for uh, other preachers that I can glean from, grow from, as I'm, as I'm washing dishes and all that. I, you know, I want to listen to some sermons. There's certain names that I just go on YouTube and I just punch in and who just bless me on a regular basis. And Pastor Brian Loritz is one of those people. Uh, Brian is the lead pastor of Abundant Life, a Christian fellowship in Mountain View, California. He was the co-founder of Fellowship Memphis. Uh, where he served as a lead pastor of a, this multi-ethnic church for 11 years, uh, helping the church to grow from 26 people in his living room to uh, a few thousand folks uh, in that community there. He's also the president of uh, the Kainos Movement, which is an organization aimed at establishing the multi-ethnic church as the new normal uh, in America. He's the husband of Corey, the father of Quentin Miles, and Jaden Miles is downstairs in our middle school service right now. He's, he's hanging out with his dad for this trip. And uh, he was with us yesterday and blessed us immensely at our racial reconciliation uh, conference, uh, immensely blessed us. And downstairs, uh, there's only about 15 books remaining. Most of the books were purchased yesterday, but Brian wrote a book called Saving the Save. The Saving the Save. Lord knows the save need to be saved. And so... How Jesus Saves Us from Try-Harder Christianity into Performance-Free Love. And so there are 15 books remaining. Don't run right now, okay? You don't want to miss the service. So before uh, you head out, make sure you pick up one of those 15 books. And you can also go, at, uh, I feel bad saying, talking about Amazon right now, Jerry, because you just mentioned that. But um, go on Amazon or your local books uh, store and, and pick up Saving the Save. Now, Brian has um, preached in New York City before. But he's never preached in Queens, right? He's never preached in Queens. And so uh, for those of you watching online, I know we can't hear you. Uh, and those of us in this room, we want to give the biggest ovation we can. So get Brian to Queens Boulevard. Welcome. As he comes up here. What a complete honor it is to be here with you all. I bring you greetings from the Bay Area of California. Wish I could have brought you weather from the Bay Area <laughs> of California. And let me totally alienate most of you. Um, I want to apologize in advance for what my warriors are going to do to the Knicks uh, <laughs> later on. <laughs> later on today. Y'all have had a rough year, decade quarter century. Um, <laughs> but anyways, whoa, talk about turning people off. I, um, 
it's really, and I don't say this to flatter you, um, but it, it really is a joy and delight to be here. In fact, me being here at New Life is really a, a bucket list opportunity for me. And uh, uh, I feel like I have um, stalked you all from afar for many years. Uh, I went up to uh, uh, Mrs. Cazero uh, this morning. Forgive me, I was raised down south. Um, and I went up to her today and I said, I feel like I know you. You're the one who said you're going to leave the church. And uh, had read that in one of the books, and then, of course, Pete, and uh, it's just been a huge, huge kind of mentor from afar. And then when we got into, just felt God calling us into multi-ethnic ministry, um, when, when I got into it, there weren't that many examples, uh, unfortunately, to look at, to glean, and learn from, uh, but New Life was one of those. So thank you all so much for just the example you are to the broader body of Christ. And uh, our church is a multi-ethnic church in Mountain View uh, that is seeking in a lot of ways to follow in your footsteps. Then to the great pastor of this church, Pastor Rich, uh, my friend, my brother for his leadership, for his vision, his family. Um, He is inspiring, inspiring to be around. Well, I don't just want to preach a word. I want to preach a word in season. And so whenever I go to different places and preach, I I want to be prayerful about it. I don't want to just kind of take out one of my greatest hits and pop it in the microwave and and warm it over. I I want to really just give a word that intersects where people are. And so in praying to God about our time together, God God spoke to my spirit and he said, "Um, son, I want you to actually give three different messages today at New Life. And I was like, God, I'm not really trying to work that hard today. And... um, But he wanted me to do a a mini-series on love. And so the first service, we were in Hosea chapter 3. We flew at a high altitude that just talked about general principles of love. Now the second service, I want to come down to a lower altitude. I want to come into your house, put my feet on your coffee table. And um, I think Jesus is going to meddle a little bit by dealing with a specific face of love, which is forgiveness. Forgiveness. If you have your devices, I want you to take them out. Don't click on your Pokemon Go apps, but click on your Bible apps. And meet me in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. And I want to read to you verses 21 through 35. Matthew 18, beginning in verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I don't say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Verse 23. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him make Uh, mention or note of this phrase, 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. If you want a good definition of forgiveness, it's verse 27. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant, here it is, released him and forgave him the debt. 
But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him, make note of this phrase, a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said, are you kidding me? Your translation doesn't say that. You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Now, verse 35 is one of the scariest verses in all the Bible. I want you to take it in slowly. As my kids used to say when they were toddlers, this freaks me out. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you. Not if you forgive your brother with your mouth. But if you do not forgive your brother from your heart, Jesus says, unforgiveness lands you in hell. Now, let me fix it. He's not preaching work salvation. He's not saying forgive to get into heaven. No, instead, Jesus is saying an indicator light that you are show enough saved. That you have received the forgiveness of God is that you forgive. Or to say it another way, forgiven people forgive. Now, Heavenly Father, I ask that you would, as the old African-American preachers used to say, stand in my body, think with my mind, and speak with my tongue. Those things you would have us know, say, and do. Again, God, my role is not to change anybody. I, I can't change myself. That is the work of your Holy Spirit. So I pray that you would... Use me to deliver your word to the ears of your people, and then by your spirit, take it from the ears to our hearts and to our feet. As my grandmama used to say, Lord God, put shoe leather on your word. Show us how to walk in these truths. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. He was a 32-year-old man by the name of Charles Roberts IV. He was deeply disappointed with life. You all know what disappointment is. It is the chasm between our expectations and our real-time experiences. We call that gap between the two disappointment. Life for Charles was not going according to his script. So frustrated was he with God that he decided to take out his frustrations with God on the local God-fearing community called the Amish. His plan was a devious one. He was going to barge into the local Amish schoolhouse, bind as many as the young girls as possible, sexually assault them, and then murder them. Got his paraphernalia, he wrote his suicide note, true story, hopped in the car, 
barged into the schoolhouse. Praise God, moments later, he hears sirens, so he has to expedite his plans. He can't assault them physically, so he just takes out his gun upon hearing the sirens, and he unloads round after round after round into the bodies of 10 10-year-old girls. Five of them are killed immediately. The other five are now clinging for dear life at the local hospital. Many of us remember this story, and if you do, like me, you were astounded. Your breath was taken away. It felt as if someone had taken their fist and punched you in the soul. What kind of monster does this? It's at this moment that the global community does something astounding. We, we begin to hear that this local Amish community does not have medical insurance. And so as the days turned into weeks, weeks turned into months, these five 10-year-old girls are fighting for life. Medical bills are mounting. And spontaneously, we, we just begin to donate globally $4.3 million over, above, and beyond what they would finally need for their medical expenses. This now raises a conundrum. The Amish leaders now call a meeting, and the meeting is is to say, what do we do with this excess funding? They meet in a facility similar to this. They banter back and forth, these God-fearing Christian men. And finally, it is decided that they would take a million of the 4.3 and give it to the widow of Charles Roberts IV. They march over to her home. They said, we hold no grudge against you. We are concerned for you and your children. We forgive you. Here is a million dollars. Take care of your family. It's at this moment when a reporter is drinking in this scene and he is astounded that these individuals could forgive the widow of the one who had committed these atrocities, he takes his microphone and shoves it into one of these God-fearing men's faces, and he says, forgive, how can you forgive? And I love this God-fearing man's response. He shrugged his shoulders, and he said, because we're Christian. That's what Christians do. We forgive. New Life, if you get nothing else I say in this morning, I want you to hear these words. If the insignia of the world is vengeance, the badge of the believer is forgiveness. If you want to know if you are truly saved... The litmus test of your salvation, the litmus test of the authenticity of your relationship with Christ is not seen in how you treat people who treat you right. But the way in which you know you are show enough saved is how you treat people who so despise you that if you were on fire and they had a cup of cold water, they would drink it slowly. Jesus said it this way, what credit is it to you if you love the lovable? 
Even the Gentiles do that. He says it's when you love the unlovable. It's when you love that nosy mother-in-law. It's when you love that ornery teenager. It's when you continue to pursue and go after and love that person who gossiped about you. It's it's when you, you refuse to give up that dad who walked out on you. How do you know that you're saved? You forgive. To be sure, this message is not about reconciliation. Reconciliation is the bringing together of former enemies. It is the walking in relationship. You can forgive without um, necessarily being reconciled, but you cannot be reconciled without forgiving. To reconcile, it takes two. That's why Paul would say in Romans 12, 18, as best as you can, live at peace with all people. This tells me that there are those rare moments when I do everything I can to make the relationship work, and it just doesn't work. So this message is not about should you get back with your ex. This message is not about whether or not you should have a a restored relationship with that uh, parent who walked out on you. This message is not about whether or not you and that friend who used to be your friend should get together. This message is laser focused on forgiveness. So that while there's a loophole to reconciliation as best as you can, there are no loopholes for forgiveness. Because while it takes two to reconcile, it only takes one to forgive. Now we come to our text. Matthew 18 is only the second time in Jesus' ministry when he uses the word church. First time he uses it is in Matthew 16. In Matthew 16, Jesus says to Peter, that's right, I am the Christ, I am the son of the living God, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now in Matthew 18, he talks about the church, and I love it, he talks about it beginning in verse 15, presupposing mess. He talks about how to handle people in the church who sin against you. That's right, church folk are messy. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you need to know that the church does not have a monopoly on messy, hypocritical people. Wherever there's people, there's mess and hypocrites. They're at your frat house. They're in any organization, and yes, they're in the church. So Jesus is unpacking in Matthew 18. Here's how you deal with people who have sinned against you. Now we come to verse 21, and here's our boy Pete. Pete, I love Pete. He says, now wait a minute, Jesus. How many times will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Now you would think if you asked Jesus a question, you would wait for him to give you the answer. Not our boy Pete. Pete 
ask the question, and before the Messiah, the all-knowing God, can give him the answer, Peter offers his own answer. He says, Jesus, how many times will my brother sin against me? Uh, How many times? And I forgive him. And I love it. He goes, seven times? He had to be smiling when he said it. Because in Jesus' day, the rabbis taught you only had to forgive three times. Here's Peter. He he takes the number three, multiplies it times two, adds one for good measure to land him on the number of completion, the number seven. And so therefore he goes seven times. I'm going above and beyond. Jesus, as he often does, takes out his proverbial pen and bursts Peter's bubble He says, Peter, I don't say to you seven times. I I say to you 70 times seven. I went to Bible college to get out of math, but last time I checked, that's 490 times. Someone, you're sitting here and you're you're going, well, praise God, because this person in my life is on 489. You're sleeping on the sofa tonight, brother. Please tell me she's in children's ministry working right now. Because if she's in the room, there's a great marriage class. Pete and Jerry got a marriage class. Uh, Two problems. If you're going 489, you didn't read 1 Corinthians 13 where Paul says, love keeps no record of wrongs. There is no scoreboard when it comes to forgiveness. Jesus is employing a rhetorical device called hyperbole. It is exaggeration to make a point. I've got a 15-year-old, a 14-year-old, and about to be 13-year-old. That's your cue to go, mmm. And I promise you, I've made statements like, I've told you a million times, take out the trash. You know I haven't told him a million times, maybe 900,000 times. But I'm exaggerating to make a point. So that when Jesus says, no, Peter, not seven times, 490 times, he is saying in so many words, your horizontal forgiveness of one another is to know no statute of limitations. It is to know no expiration date because the vertical forgiveness you have received from me has no statute of limitations or expiration dates. Forgive, 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 forgive. Now the story. As if that's not enough, Jesus wants we followers of him to really get this in our spirits. He tells the story of a man who's in debt to the sum of 10,000 talents. If you read commentaries, scholars have no clue how much this is. One guesstimates that a talent is worth about a year's worth of wages. In some economies, let's say that's about 18 grand. Now multiply that times 10,000, and this is what this person owes. 
In Jesus' day, the, the budget for the region of Galilee, the annual budget, was 300 talents. This man owes 10,000 talents. One scholar puts it like this. I love it. He says, what this man owes is equivalent to what America owes China. (laughs) So put what we owe to China on one person. And yet the text says, he comes to the king He says, please have patience with me and I will pay you everything. That's laughable. Be patient with me. Forgive me of the debt. I'll pay you everything. And what does the king do? He does it. There's three things our text teaches us about forgiveness. The first thing it teaches us is that forgiveness is always Irrational. If it doesn't have a bit of crazy to it, if your girlfriends don't get to roll in their neck, (laughs) going, girl, I can't believe. (laughs) C.S. Lewis. In his wonderful book, Mere Christianity, says it this way. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. This is hard. It is perhaps not so hard to forgive a single great injury, but to forgive the incessant provocations of daily life, to keep on forgiving the bossy mother-in-law, the bullying husband, the nagging wife, the selfish daughter, the deceitful son... How can we do it? Only, he says, I think by remembering where we stand, by meaning our words when we say in our prayers each night, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. We are offered forgiveness on no other terms. To refuse it is to refuse God's mercy for ourselves. There's no hint of exceptions in God means what he says. Listen, we've all been there. We've all had people who have violated us. Again, this is not about reconciliation. It is about forgiveness. Hear me. You can give me legitimate excuses as to why you should not forgive. But against the pantheon of scripture and what Christ does for you, there really is no legitimate excuse. It's always irrational. It's at this moment, though, where I, I want to put on my economics hat. I want to say to the king, listen, I understand he'll never be able to pay you back China's debt. I understand that. And by the way, I'd love to talk to you about your interest rates. Talk about predatory lending. How did it get that extreme? But I want to say to the king, I know you can't get it all back. But but for you to just let it go means that you are out of something. He, he, He could have paid you something back. So for you to just let it go and not get anything at all in return? Here's the second thing about forgiveness. 
Not only is it irrational, but it's costly. If it doesn't hurt, one pastor says it this way, forgiveness is a suffering. What, what does he mean by that? What he means by that, I think, is when you wrong me in my fallen Adamic nature, in my flesh, I want to respond in vengeance. I, you've hurt me, so now I want to hurt you back. This is kind of what Sean Connery talked about in the 1987 movie, The Untouchables. I love mafia movies, and as a chocolate person, I shouldn't love them. Because if you've ever seen a mafia movie, we're always the first one to get killed. But here's Sean Connery talking to Kevin Costner, and they're about to raid Al Capone's uh, safe house. He says, wait a minute, before we do that, here's what you need to understand. We're about to stir up a hornet's nest, and here's what's going to happen. When they pull out a knife on us, we pull out a gun on them. They send one of ours to the hospital. We send one of theirs to the morgue, tit for tat, back and forth. And I love it. He says, that's the Chicago way. Unfortunately, too many Christians operate by the Chicago way. No. I know you're too cool, calm, and collected to lash out and let people know that they got to you. So instead, you moonwalk away from the relationship. You stop returning phone calls. You all of a sudden get real busy. You give them the silent treatment. Friends, that's the Chicago way. Corey Ten Boom, in her wonderful book, The Hiding Place, many of you have read it. She's sent, along with her sister, to a Nazi concentration camp, not because she's Jewish, but because her family harbored Jews. While there, she witnesses her sister being murdered by a guard. She survives the camp, Corey Ten Boom does. Years later, she's preaching at a church similar to this. She gets finished preaching, shaking hands, when all of a sudden she sees a faintly familiar face walking down the aisle, hand outstretched, yelling, Corey! Corey, do you remember me? Oh my gosh, she thinks it is the guard who murdered her sister. Corey, do, do you remember me? I am a Christian now. Will you forgive me? Listen to what she says. I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. Thank you for that, Corey. She's saying, spiritual giant, I don't feel like it. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one outstretched to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. Hear it. For a long moment, she writes, we grasp each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. Hear it. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. I love what she says. I don't feel like forgiving, 
but I'm going to let my faith override my feeling. And then notice what happens. I don't feel like it. I'm going to let my faith override my feelings. I'm going to step out on faith. I'm going to do what I don't feel like doing. And what does she say at the end? Then the feelings came. I don't feel like forgiving my mom. I don't feel like forgiving the dad who walked out. I don't feel like forgiving that estranged sibling. I don't feel like forgiving that person who manipulated me out of my job. I don't feel like forgiving. I, she cheated on me, pastor. She, she was the reason for the divorce. And every month I write that child support payment. There's this bitterness. I don't feel, I don't feel, I don't feel it's costly. Thirdly, let's go home on this one. So here's this joker. He's forgiven China's debt. He's freed. He goes out and finds someone who owes him a few dollars. Chokes him. Pay what you owe. What happens to him? The king hears about it. He goes, are you kidding me? Throws him in jail. When he's forgiven, there's freedom. When he refuses to forgive, jail. Forgiveness, and I want to be careful how I say this, is one of the greatest gifts, not that we so much give others, but, we, but that we give to ourselves. Long story short, I I'm a rehabilitating racist. I had a white classmate of mine in Bible college call me a nigger. I said, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm through with whites. I'm done. Let me go to a chocolate church, be with my people. And then three years later, God calls me to be the first African-American at a white church in Pasadena. <laughs> God loves it when you tell him what you will and won't do with your life. So I rolled into that church like Jonah rolled into Nineveh. <laughs> I'm going to set these white folks straight. <laughs> Not long after being in the church, my best friends from the chocolate church around town, on the other side of town, came to hear me church, hear me preach at the vanilla church, and um, <laughs> we went out to lunch afterwards, and they read me the riot act. My black friend said, man, who was that guy we just heard? I said, what do you mean? They go, we watched you for 45 minutes in anger beat up the people. God and I began to wrestle. Here's the crazy thing about unforgiveness. I had let one person a decade earlier have a personality-altering control over my life that robbed me of my joy 
injected me with bitterness and cynicism, and he wasn't even thinking about me 10 years later. I was bound. I can always tell a person with unforgiveness issues, you can spot them a mile away. They they tend to have intimacy issues. You can only get so far with them. Okay. I can always spot a person with unforgiveness issues. All jokes aside, that's some of us here today. I remember preaching this message once and an 82-year-old man came up to me with tears in his eyes. And he said, Pastor, I haven't forgiven my father and he's been dead 60 years. I think I'm going to write him a letter and lay it on his grave. I'm out of time. This text is all about the gospel. You don't need a seminary degree to figure it out. The king is God. We are the servants. The debt is our sins. We all owed China's debt. We had no way of paying it. And God, in an irrational, costly act of forgiveness, paid his own debt that we owed through his son, Jesus Christ. And he says, I've, I've paid off your debt. Stop tripping off of the few dollars of what someone else has done to you. The question all, must preach, all preaching must answer is, what do I do with this word? Every head bowed and every eye closed. I have gone over time. If this was a word for you, a word in season for you, whether you are streaming at home or you're in the building here at New Life, would you stand to your feet? If you're going, I I just want prayer, Pastor. I I just want you to pray for me. I'm, I'm dealing with some unforgiveness in my heart. I'd love to pray for you. Would you stand? If you're going, yeah, that was a word for me. I, I don't need to put it on layaway. This is a right now word for me. I'm going to pray right now. If there's a person standing near you, you have freedom in this place to stretch a hand towards them, to stand with them if you'd like. But let us, let us agree together in prayer for our brothers and sisters. Father, in the name of Jesus, easier said than done. It is incredibly hard, Lord God. And the hurt runs deep. We've been violated. We've been wronged. We've been sinned against. And the violations are multifaceted, many colored. And God, I don't make light of them at all. The pain and the hurt are real. God, in the name of Jesus, just as we have, for, have received your forgiveness, I pray, Lord God, that, that your forgiveness does not sit in the cul-de-sac of our life, 
but it would flow through us as if running through a boulevard. And we would be forgiving people because we have received your forgiveness. So God, may your Holy Spirit take this word and show, it what it, show us what it looks like in our own life. You may be calling us to pick up the phone and to make the phone call, to send the text, to write the letter, to shoot the email, to, to have a lunch, a dinner, a cup of coffee, and to just say it, I, I forgive you. God, as the, as the Lord's Prayer teaches us, a lot of times the hurt is so deep, this is not a one and done thing. This is a daily thing where we need to constantly pray Father, we forgive those who have trespassed against us. So God, for the strength of your Holy Spirit, for the strength of your Son, Jesus Christ, and for the strength of you in a Trinitarian way, help us to do what is impossible for us to do on our own. Help us to be vessels of forgiveness. It is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's all actually stand together. I want to invite those that are going to come to the tables of communion around the room. There's no better way to end our time than to take communion together. One of the ways to concretely experience the forgiveness of God is by coming to the table of communion. One of the ways to embody forgiveness is by taking in the body blood of Christ. So when we come to communion, the communion table points us to the cross of Jesus. So on the cross where he says, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. Maybe that's our prayer as well. Maybe someone did know what they were doing. Maybe someone did not know what they were doing. But Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgiveness is irrational, forgiveness is costly, and it costs Jesus' life to absorb into his body the pain and the sin of the world without retribution, without calling angels from heaven. Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. So I want to give us a moment of repentance. This is the season of Lent where the church focuses more exclusively on repentance it's our opportunity to turn from this tit for tat the Chicago way this quid pro quo to the way of Jesus to the way of the cross to the way of the table I want to invite you to close your eyes for a moment and just offer your own repentance towards God Lord I've been living the Chicago way and I want to go in the Jesus way take a moment to offer your repentance before God and we'll pray this prayer of confession on the screen in a moment but in the best way you know how let's turn to God in repentance confession on the screen together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, 
we have sinned against you through our own faults, in thought, in word, in deed, in what we have done, in what we have left undone. For the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, forgive us all our offenses and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. The usher is going to lead you down from below up top when you take the bread just dip it in the cup go back to your seat and remember when we come to the table we don't come in our name we don't come in our works we don't come in our righteousness we come in the name of jesus and his works and his righteousness let's come to the table the apostle paul writes in first corinthians 11 for i received from the lord what i also passed on to you the lord jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As the people of God, let's take the bread and the cup together. Forgiveness is the greatest gift we can give to ourselves. Make no mistake about it that forgiveness is a miracle. It's a miracle, which means we need a power outside of ourselves to do it. We need the power of God. This is why we're here as the people of God together. It's our confession of saying, Lord, in my own strength, this is impossible. But nothing is impossible with you. And one of the ways that God begins to empower us and fill us with grace to forgive is by receiving prayer. The Holy Spirit begins to break off chains when we pray for one another. And this is why we have a prayer team here at the end of every service. Because the kind of work that you need to do in this area is going to take more than willpower. It's going to take more than trying harder. It's going to take the power of God. This is not by mind, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And if you're in a place today that you need God's power over you today to invade your life, to set you free, we'd love to pray for you. Stay as long as we need to. So our prayer team will be to our left. Don't run out of here. If the Holy Spirit is working with you, maybe just have a seat and just sit here for a moment and allow his presence to wash over you. Pastor Brian is going to be downstairs in the lobby area, so if you want to meet him, um, he'd love to meet you um, and just offer your gratitude for his powerful word today. But as we close here, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven. If you're watching online, I want to invite you to open your hands as well. This is a way of receiving blessing out of which we offer ourselves to the world. We cannot give what we have not received. And so this is our way of saying, Lord, we have forgiven your grace, we have forgiven your mercy, received your mercy, 
And out of that place, we want to offer grace, offer forgiveness, offer mercy by your power. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you. May he fill you with peace. May you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing a God who has forgiven you. And out of that place and by his power, may God lead you to offer forgiveness. May you be set free in the process. I pray that God would unleash joy in your life this week, peace in your life this week, life in you. And may you be a blessing to those you encounter. And so today I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the forgiving name of Jesus. And everyone said,